You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud. The new web hosting plan from Bluehost, with 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hello. Hello. So, we are here with episode 17, Look Up List, which is Joie Armstrong Part 1. Part two will come out Monday. And truthfully, I think this lookup list is kind of for all of joie. And then our lookup list for episode 18 will be something just totally random and different. We'll do a bonus something. I'll interview you or something like that. (laughs) I'll interview you. Fine. You interview me. We'll just do something different because it's sometimes hard when there's a two-parter to separate the lookup questions, whether it was included in part one or two. So... And also, even if we talk about something that perhaps is in part two, like something that I asked a question about in part two, and you haven't listened to part two yet, and this comes out first, it doesn't matter because it's not going to give anything away. Totally. Totally. It's just going to let you know maybe more of like a a locale where they are or something. And that may not even happen. It'll just be a little bit more little information. and. Uh, so to give everyone some context, we are sitting outside today recording at Mark's house. And so if you hear barking dogs, there are a lot of barking dogs in the distance. And then also today, me and Mark found a puppy that was lost and out in the world. And she is super, super cute. And we have been trying to find the owner and have her here with us and with my other two dogs. So if there is some additional scratching or barking, that's because we are dealing with a little baby puppy that we have on our hands. What was one of the dog when you took a photo and then you Googled it? It said like a a something like a black jaw or like a a black mouth cur. Black mouth cur. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, black mouth cur. And so this puppy... I don't know if you guys know this, but for anybody listening who has dogs, this is kind of interesting. If you take a picture of your dog and you have an iPhone, you can take look at that picture in your photos, swipe up, and it'll it'll say dog. And if you click on that dog, it'll Siri will tell you what type of dog or types of dog it thinks it is. So I took a picture of this puppy we found, and I'm sure I'll post one. Um, 
and swiped up and Siri told me that this dog is Carolina dog and Blackmouth Cur. I had not heard of either of them, but it looks accurate actually when I look up those dogs. So she's very cute and she seems like she's only like eight to 10 weeks. And so anyways, if there are any distractions or noises, we wanted to give that kind of precursor. That, I feel that, like you should why. record that and put it in almost every beginning of every episode. <laughs> if there's a little <laughs> nip nap over here, or a little true. bark bark or a little, that. yeah. Okay, so so there there's the precursor about our, our dog situation. And now we are going to jump into this episode 17 lookup list, the murder of Joie Armstrong part one. We both actually looked up some things for this one. I'll start with... Um, with the we talked about the Sierra Nevada red fox because it is I was talking about animals that are found in Yosemite and the Sierra Nevada red fox is one of them and it's it was important a special note on it because it was is one of the rarest mammals in North America and is now only found in two tiny populations in California that consist of fewer than 50 and, and maybe even fewer than 20. Are they, so two locations in California, mm-hmm. are they in both Sierra within ne- Yosemite or the surrounding area? Yeah, they're yeah, in okay. the Sierra Nevadas. So the Sierra Nevada red fox is the largest of the true foxes, which as I'm reading that, I don't know what that means. Um, but the red fox is also the most widespread found across the entire Northern Hemisphere. But the secretive Sierra Nevada red fox, which is genetically and geographically distinct from all other red foxes, inhabits only remote high elevation reaches of the Sierra Nevada and Southern Cascade Mountains. And the Cascade Mountains are in uh, Oregon, I believe. So the, 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 the specific ones are the ones that are maybe only 50 to 70 yeah. or whatever. Right. Not just a red fox, but the Sierra Nevada red fox. I don't know if I've seen the special Sierra Nevada red fox. Mm-hmm. I've never seen any in person, I don't think. But... Um, you know, on YouTube or whatever, they've got real fluffy tails and mm. they are red to like deep red to like burgundy, deep almost. tan brown yeah. burgundy. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, so they're, they're highly vulnerable to extinction due to a perilously small population size and reduced genetic diversity. The fox, the Sierra Nevada red fox faces many dire threats to its habitat, including logging off-road and over snow vehicles, livestock grazing and fish stocking which i'm not sure how that well i guess because that's 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 their food yeah yeah. but like the logging at first i was like well why does that matter i think they make little homes yeah of course it drives them out and then the what was the other one you said after logging Um, the off-road and over snow vehicles probably run them them over yeah roadkill and they're also in danger snow kill (laughs) (laughs) They're also endangered by climate change, which has already caused hotter and drier conditions in the Sierra Nevada and is projected to shrink the fox's habitat as temperatures warm and push the animal further up the mountain slopes. So they just have nowhere to live. It sounds like they live in colder temperatures and there are dwindling cold temperatures in the Sierra Nevada. So well, and also like dwindling open areas as unless it's an, uh, you know, a a natural conservatory or whatever it's called, you know, a national park yeah people are building building and so sure they can live there but 
Not well. Not well. Yeah. Kind of a depressing Kind of like coyotes. Once. Yeah, it's sad. Ugh, it breaks my heart when I see coyotes here that mm. are like in town and so skinny. And You took a picture of one once I and know. you sent it to me and you're like, look at this sad face. And I'm all, that's okay. I think you thought it was a dog. I did at first. It's still just yeah. as sad. Not that they want to be in a home, but oh. that's unfortunate. They're just, they have nowhere to go. Yeah. It's really sad. You want to go or you want me to do lunar rainbows? Oh, I'll go. Okay. Okay, so what's a naturalist? Okay. So um, Joie identified as a naturalist. She did, yes. Yep, yep. she did. So um, a naturalist is any person who studies the natural world, which I guess most people could understand that or gather that. Sure. Uh, what does that, that mean, the natural world? I don't so know. naturalists make observations of the relationships between organisms and their environment, as well as how those relationships change over time. So... I'm going to ask you this, and I wouldn't know it either, but what do you think one of the most well-known naturalists are? One of the most well-known examples of a naturalist. Uh, Jane Goodall. Oh, that's really good. That's a really good guess. I don't know if she's considered a naturalist, Ah. but Charles Darwin. Oh, okay. Okay. Okay, I would have not gotten that. I, I, well, let's not go into what I would have said. <laughs> um, okay, so naturalists focus on natural resources, environmental conservation, environmental education and outreach. Uh, focus on serving local communities within the district, including the native fauna and flora. I love those phrases. Me too. Uh, they provide education, outreach, and service to the communities and dedicate uh, they're dedicated to beneficial management of natural resources and natural spaces within whatever community that's a lot of words that's a lot that's a lot of things but but i think i like people that are naturalists they're trying to preserve the natural environment yeah and and or learn more yeah 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 okay that's interesting yeah i like that cool um so lunar rainbow i feel like this could be an entire episode just based on how much i know you love lunar I'm gonna keep my mouth a little bit quiet I do love all of the words I love the word lunar rainbow I love which is also known as a moon bow I love that maybe we should call this dog moon bow I love that call a moon or bow I love it so a lunar rainbow which is also known as a moon bow is a rare atmospheric phenomenon that occurs when the light from the moon is refracted and reflected in water droplets in the air, creating a rainbow-like arc. So from teaching years and years ago, I taught the words refract and reflect. Refract is when light bends, and reflect is when it it shines back at you, right? Okay, so yes, I I couldn't have explained it like that. Refract, and what's the other word? Say it again. Reflect. Reflect. So reflect to me means push out like more. Okay. Which is what you just said, kind Mm -hmm. of. And retract Refla- refract. 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 Oh. <laughs> refract to me means retract, but I don't think that's right. So I do, I do know that refract means to bend light. Okay, so here. So reflection is the act of light reflecting back when it hits a medium on a plane. Refraction is the process by which light shifts its path as it travels through a material causing it to bend. It can go like this. Whoop, whoop. Yep, yep, yep. So... So lunar rainbows are similar to regular rainbows in their appearance. They kind of look the same. But lunar rainbows occur at night when the moon is bright enough to create a visible arc. 
The colors of a lunar rainbow are often more muted than those of a daytime rainbow, with blues and greens being more prominent than reds and oranges. Um, These lunar rainbows can be seen in any location where the moon is bright enough and there's enough moisture in the air to create the necessary water droplets. That's our problem here because we get clear, clear as day, which is wrong. The most wonderful skyscapes and also not enough water, not a lot of water. Sometimes I think I have seen like I'm looking at one picture where it's like a big moon and then it's like a light muted rainbow and then a nut it's a double moon bow oh but it's very muted i love that yeah they're most commonly seen near waterfalls or other bodies of water that create mist or spray but they can also be seen in rain or fog um because lunar rainbows are so rare they're often considered a special and magical site so if you're interested in seeing one for yourself try visiting a waterfall or other body of water on a clear night when the moon is full or nearly full just remember to bring a flashlight as the area may be quite dark. That's what ChatGPT told me. So thank you, ChatGPT. Okay. Um, okay. Oh, you're not done. No, I'm done. I'm done. We're going to go on to... I'm going to save my favorite one for last. So this one, I'm just going to... You might have to nip and tuck this. Sure. Love okay, that so show. We, we spoke about uh, Laguna del Sol in Wilton, California. The nudist colony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's where um, Carrie Stainer was hanging out. Cool. Thank you. Laguna del Sol has been a nudist club since 1961. It used to be known as Rawhide Ranch uh, from the seven. I know from the 70s until 1991 when it returned to its beautiful original name. Um, blah blah blah. So okay, several dozen, several dozen people make Laguna del Sol their permanent home. Wow. Uh, many others lease sites for RVs and little model cottages, which they use as second homes or weekend getaways. Um, Laguna del Sol is what they call a clothing optional resort. Hmm. This, which, I mean, duh, right? Sure. Yeah. The swimming pool and spa areas are the only places where clothing is not allowed. So, like, it's all clothing optional. Unless you're in the pool and or the spa. And this is, like, the opposite of... Like you the cannot world, right? No clothes allowed in the pool and the spa. No, you're not allowed to. Okay, there are a lot of places where you must wear swimsuits. I guess. Um, okay, uh, people have different preferences for exercising, playing sports, dining oh, in a restaurant, and going to the lounge in the evening. Whether permitting, most people are comfortable being nude most of the time. Others prefer to wear a pair of shorts for running, volleyball, or tennis. Or a wrap or like cover up for dining. It's your choice, which I appre- I super appreciate. And also, like, I'm not like, oh my god, don't look at. But like, I just can I, you imagine exercising naked? Volleyball. First of all, I don't <laughs> tennis. Like in this moment oh, in my life, I don't love even like walking around naked. But I I do it in my own personal Ooh. privacy. But in when I've maybe perhaps felt better about my been in better shape or whatever, I I felt okay walking. Do you want to jump around? No, but never in my best shape of my life do I want to play volleyball, tennis, or go running nude. Also, it's Ugh. warm there at times. Chafing in Wilton, California. Do you want to cover up your? stuff so it doesn't get sunburnt oh yeah some i was i was saying chafing but sunburns well, as well but like ugh, bouncing there's a lot of flopping i'm not opposed at all like t- I, i'm not a nudist 
but I think it's cool that people yeah, great. are. Good for you. D- I could hang never. out in a community in my no clothes. I can't. I'm not willing to. I'm not willing to play volleyball in clothes. <laughs> so <laughs> Let let's naked. be honest. <laughs> okay. Well, that is That's a good one. Laguna del Sol. I That's thought it was interesting. interesting. So I have two more, but I think I'm one of them. I have two more as well. Both very short, but both very short. Okay, why don't you go? Because I have two more and they're neither are terribly long, but one is really heavy. Okay, let me give my shortest. This is like literally, well, I'll just say it. So we mentioned the Yosemite Institute. Can you give that context? Yeah, that's where Joie worked at the Yosemite Institute, which then later became Nature Bridge. Okay, so Yosemite Institute is now called Nature Bridge and the Nature Bridge Educator Development Program encourages and aims to increase representation of those who have had historical and systemic barriers to the field of outdoor education and consequently the workforce. And then it's like educating grades four through 12 on these different like environmental forestry education programs. So underprivileged kids? No, it didn't say that, but it's like, I think it's just community kids. Okay. I, I mean, I wish I could say it was underprivileged, but I think it's kind of just educating them, preparing them, or encouraging them if they have a little, like, ooh, I might want to kind of be in this field. Like, got it. Conservationist, environmentalist, naturalist. Got it. But that's really all I have. So, I, actually, I think when we talked about it in the episode, I looked for a little bit more, and, and that's really it. I mean, it's pretty. Basic. It's pretty pretty basic. Like, that's what it is. So let's, I'm going to share my my heavy one right now, so we don't end on this one. And this is just, we talked about Carrie Stainer's brother, Stephen Stainer, who was kidnapped. And I I think that we shared a good amount of information about it, but I, I dug a bit deeper and got a little bit more information. So some of this may be doubled up that we may have already heard, but I'm just going to kind of try to give a... Um, a comprehensive overview of this um, kidnapping that Carrie Stainer's brother endured. So uh, we already knew that uh, Stephen was approached on his way home from school by a man named Irvin Edward Murphy, um, who was had become close with Kenneth Parnell, uh, a known and convicted child rapist. Um, I did not know this. They both worked at a resort in Yosemite National Park, actually. Um and so the man who approached the same resort, I'm sorry, yes, the okay. same resort. And so the man who approached Stephen while he was going home from school, um, Irvin, was described by those who knew him as a trusting, naive and simple minded man. And um, Parnell, Kenneth Parnell, who was kind of the mastermind of this and who ended up keeping Stephen captive for for years and years, he he passed himself off to Irvin as an aspiring minister. That's how he kind of like got him on his side. And he convinced him to abduct young boys, Stephen being one of the first, so that Kenneth Parnell said so that he could raise him in a, in a religious home. And but he, th- he wasn't actually a minister. No, he was not. No, he was not. So once Irvin, you know, got Stephen... Uh, in the van and took him to Kenneth Parnell. Kenneth then drove Stephen to a, a cabin in Kathy's Valley. Um, and 
surprisingly, this cabin, Stephen didn't know it at the time, but the cabin that Kenneth was holding him at was only a few hundred feet from Stephen's grandfather's home. Isn't that so creepy and terrible? Mm. Um, and so uh, just a... So just a warning, this next part is a, is a bit graphic for anyone listening. Um, but apparently Kenneth Parnell um, sexually assaulted Stephen that first night at the cabin and then stopped. And then about 13 days later continued and continued on. Until Wait, so he, years. W- he kept him there? Yes. I mean, I knew that part, but like you're saying that time period between first start... 13 days later, and yes. then I know went assaulted, on and on. Yeah, he assaulted okay. him, molested him that first night, stopped for apparently about 12 days. Why do you think? It doesn't matter. Know. It all doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. But still, that's odd. But it's it's a specific date. 13 days later after kidnapping him on December 17th is when he started regularly um, molesting for and how assaulting long? him for years, uh, basically until he got away, pretty much. Um Apparently, Stephen told Kenneth many times that first week that he wanted to go home. And Kenneth um, told Stephen, I think we talked about this a little bit, but Kenneth told Stephen, I've been given legal custody of you mm-hmm. because your parents could not afford you and they don't want you anymore. Right. So he was, that's a, that's an overt to me. This is my opinion. This is, that is an overt way of grooming an individual, a young person. Yes. Yeah. And so very early on, um, Kenneth allowed Stephen to drink alcohol, smoke, and I bet he did. come and go as he pleased, essentially. So Kenneth kind of moved them from one city to another frequently, every couple months. Um, but he never kept Stephen, like he didn't tie him up. He wasn't, basically he had convinced him, like, I'm your legal guardian now, you're with me, and Stephen accepted that and just kind of stayed and well because he was a, a not even a teen really well, he was seven when he was a right so like think about very young i mean he didn't you know just any w- better you, you just trust an adult well you just also need to be taken care of right even if you right. don't trust the and he person, was you're like i need you he was he was <laughs> in the most basic ways he was given food well, and also and clothing, he was not and he was abused yeah. absolutely Oof. um but steven when it, in interviews, when he looked back at this, he he often remarked that he could have easily gotten away because Kenneth would go to work for hours at a time and he could have gotten away, but he just didn't know how at that age. He didn't know how or have kind of the, the mindset to do that. Even if he um, did, maybe he, like, at 7, 8, 9, 10. Scary. You're like, well, at least I'm getting food and water. Right. So mm. one of the few positive aspects of Stephen's life with Kenneth was that um, Kenneth gave him a, a dog as a gift, a Manchester Terrier that he named Queenie. And uh, so the dog had been given to Kenneth by his mother. His mother didn't know that Stephen existed. And then Kenneth gave it to Stephen. Um, and this just blew my mind. For about 18 months, at some point, during those seven, eight years that Stephen was with Kenneth, a woman named Barbara Matthias lived with them. And according to Stephen, again, graphic warning, um, according to Stephen, this Barbara and Kenneth um, both assaulted and molested and raped him during the course of her living with them. 
1975, Kenneth instructed Barbara to lure another young boy uh, into the car, but it was unsuccessful. And um, <clears throat> they ended up not, not being able to kidnap him. So during the whole time that Stephen was there, they apparently tried to kidnap other kids, but they never ended up succeeding. Which I don't wish that they had kidnapped other kids, except for the fact that Stephen was like alone. Yeah. Super alone. Well, and then when they finally did, that's when he ended up escaping. Right. Um, so in, and this is the last little bit of this, but in an interview with Newsweek shortly after his escape, Stephen said, I returned almost a grown man. And yet my parents saw me at first as their seven-year-old son when I got back. After they stopped trying to teach me the fundamentals all over again, it got better. But why doesn't my dad hug me anymore? I don't understand. Everything has changed. And sometimes I blame myself. I don't know. Sometimes I think, should I have even come home? Would I have been better off if I had just stayed with him? Wow. Yeah. Do we know what's happening now with them? Well, Stephen died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's he right. He died in Thank a motorcycle you. accident. Yeah. And, oh. the, and the the other little boy that like was abducted what? died as well. I know. Yeah. Huh. Um, oh, you're right. They both died. They in both kind died. Of significant kind of tragic right here events. Yep. Which yeah. I won't go into what I think about that. Oh, but yep. my gosh. Ooh, okay. I'd like to know later on yeah. what you think about that. Not on this. It's just very, very, tra a lot of, lot of tragedy. But there were a few, you know, there were some things in there that I hadn't said or found the first time. So I thought I would, I would share them. Um, so I have one more and you have one more. Why don't, well, I'll do mine because it's not as interesting, I think, as yours. Uh, um, okay. Okay. So we just had El Capitan, which was that big rock face that a lot of rock climbers use and just kind of like more information about it. It's a massive granite monolith is what they call it, but it's basically a big granite face that's approximately 3,000 feet tall, making one of the tallest sheer rock faces in the world. So the name El Capitan means the captain in Spanish and was given to the rock formation by the Mariposa Battalion, a group of California volunteers who explored the area in 1851. Uh, a very popular destination for rock climbers. I think in the episode we had mentioned that Netflix documentary, The Alpinist, Alpinist, um, and you had said, I wonder if the guy in it had climbed it, and it turns out he did, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the, the rock wall, El Capitan, was first climbed in 1958 by Warren Harding, Wayne, Mary, and George Whitmore, and it took them 47 days to climb it which sounds crazy to me. The The face of El Capitan is home to a number of plant and animal species, including the peregrine falcon, which are known for incredible speed and agility. Um, and it's featured in numerous films, such as Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, The Dawn Wall, and Free Solo, a documentary about Alex Honnold's historic climb. Yeah, watch it. It's really yeah. good. So and that weird. is... Um, that's El Capitan. All right. Well, here we go into Merced, California. Why are we talking about Merced? Because that is where S Carrie Stainer is from. Mm -hmm. So two hours from San Fran. And I don't know. I think it's... I don't actually know. Guys, sorry. We have a lot of dogs barking, but we're going to try and power through. But we so apologize. seismic activity, right? Yes. And Did we talk about that? Yes. yes. And we talked that's about why that I in wrote it down. In Yosemite, there's also a ton of seismic activity. Right. Okay. Which so. means what? For those of us who don't know. Well, like um, the earthquakes. Earth. Yeah. yeah. Quakes. Yeah. So Merced is like the biggest, 
the biggest city or suburban city town right outside of you. Like it's the most identifiable one right outside of Yosemite. So let's just call it right in the Yosemite area. Sure. So in the past seven days, and I wrote this two days ago. So let's just say in the past seven days, there have been 55 quakes that have registered. Now, at first I thought, whoa, okay. In the past 365 days, there's been... 3,414 quakes. No way. Now, only, well, only five were magnitude four, and I'll tell you what that is in a minute. 750 were magnitude two, and only one was magnitude five. But the day before we recorded the episode, I think, on April 4th, 2023, there was a 4.5. Five five magnitude, which let's just call it almost a six. Okay, so f- let's call it or let's almost call it five. almost a five. Thank you. Four point five five magnitude. Let's round up. So scale five magnitude. Furniture moves, dinnerware, books fall off, and out of the shelves, the windows shatter. Wow. Yep. Magnitude two. So like of the three thousand plus that happened in the past three hundred and sixty five days. Uh, 750 were magnitude two. What what does that mean? It says many people indoors feel the quake mm-hmm. and suspended objects such as like hanging know. chandeliers or things. Thank you, because it says luminari, yeah. which is that, yeah, um, sway. Okay. So not much, but something. The biggest seismic activity in the past two months, three months is... On the 4th of April. 4.55. Wow. On October 25th of this past year, 2022, Mm -hmm. 5.2. Ooh. And what is that? Even more than window shattering. Right. Even a bit more. So uh, scale five upper means falling of heavy furniture, such as chests or drawers. Um, And vending machines can fall over in the street. Vending machines in the street may fall. Drivers may have trouble steering. Wow. Because the street's all whoop, whoop. Oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine that. But, like, I get that, like, a lot of these 3,400 plus quakes that register on the seismic or little Richter, to nothing. Schedule, or right. Richter, Richter scale. scale don't, no one even knows or sure. barely knows. If but you're still, 3,000 in 365 days. It's a lot. Do you know that, do you know that we were in an earthquake once? Mm-hmm. At Michael's. Um, Darren's. Oh, Michael's. No, it was Michael's You're bar right. mitzvah. You're right. Michael's bar mitzvah. You're right. And so he was 13. He's around. My I won't age. say that. Yeah. But a long way back. 96, <laughs> 95 probably. I remember I also picked up a snail as the seismic activity was happening. Oh, there was a snail on I the I do ground. remember you and me were standing out by the back door of the temple and it kind of happened and everything shook. It right, it was super weird. Was and I was weird. too young then to really wrap my mind around it. And it wasn't big enough to be like, oh my gosh, what's no, happening? I bet it was a three. But it was noticeable. We oh, yeah. noticed. Indoors, people feel the quake yeah. and dinnerware in the cupboards yeah. may shake. Definitely. It was at least a three. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't like we didn't fall over. Right. But it was noticeable. Yeah. Very strange. Very, very strange. So feeling. strange because we don't. Oof. Sure, they have seismic activity in Arizona, but nothing we feel. So, well, it's, and growing up in Chicago, we never felt that. No, no, it's very, very strange. Yeah. Do you want to hear a scale seven before we close out? I do. People lose total control of their physical actions. 
What does that mean? Like, like you're, you're trying to say like over. maybe you're trying to pick up your picture or your animal and you're just like falling over. And then it says massive cracks appear in the ground and landslides occur. <sighs> I never want to see that. That I feel like I've only seen that on TV. I've only seen that on TV. I definitely, yeah, I guess I've definitely only seen that on TV. I'd like to never see that in person. Oh. Well, and that can, then that can trigger a lot of water things, right? Yes. And also I think about people that are very well off financially, assumingly, I don't know, but like that live in Malibu and shit, they can have, if there's a little quake, even a medium quake, I think, landslides, right? And also there's been a shit ton of fires in the past 10 years. Mm -hmm. So- Oof. Good luck, Mal- Malibu, Malibu residents. Yeah, I was going to say Malibuians. <laughs> uh. I don't think there's a better note to end on than that, Malibuians. Um, thank you guys for listening, and apologies. I'm going to try and edit out some of that dog stuff, but if whatever makes it in, we, uh, you know, we apologize. Doing the best we can with 8,000 animals around us, and uh, happy weekend. Happy Easter for those of you who celebrate, I guess. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I I like chocolate bunnies. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Yes. Agreed. And uh, we will have part two of Joie Armstrong on Tuesday, our new release date. And we will see you guys later. Hug your loved ones. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.